Yeah, also uh, author in the works. So writing two books, one's a kid's book, one's an adult book. So, yeah. He, he writes That's romance awesome. novels. Yeah, it's adult fiction. So um, it's very <laughs> Romance sexy. novel with your mother, Alex. <laughs> She's a good looking woman. I don't blame you, man. I'm not, I was mad about it for the first year when I found out. And then I was like, you know what? Honestly, she's happy. You're, it's fine. Okay. So we're it's making bring, this up. bringing in good money. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the present father's podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Present Fathers podcast. Uh, my name is George. We are super excited for this episode. We have a special guest tonight, Justin Just Tries. So we're trying to confuse everyone listening, so which Justin is talking. But we've got the whole crew here. Dustin, Brandon, Justin joined with me and our guest, Just Tries. Uh, Justin is a podcaster himself. He's, uh, I think a serial entrepreneur, right? Uh, and on top of that, he's a dad. And so we're going to dive into a whole host of topics here. Uh, Justin, your podcast, I was listening to it, getting ready for this episode, super motivating. I love what you're doing. Um, so I'm excited to have a guy like you with just real positive, um, motivation and topics that you explore and then kind of diving into fatherhood to maybe let you talk about something that is near and dear to your heart also. So um, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Yeah, how I'm doing is well, thank you. I know as fathers, a lot of times we go without sleep and I'm on a little more than two hours, but probably only a few because, uh, you know, being that present father, had some sick children in the night last mm. night. So I'm a little more tired than I usually am going on stream, but uh, I'm doing well and I'm just excited to be on a podcast about fatherhood because I'm yet to do that specifically and uh, to be on with a larger group of interviewers is pretty awesome. So thanks for having me on. Of course, man. We're pumped. So why don't we just start with a little bit of um, your background. Tell us about your family, uh, you know, how many kids you have and uh, then a little bit about how you got into starting your own podcast and all the different business ventures that you have. Sure. So I have in my family, my wife, Jenna, uh, we have a little kitten named Scout and then uh, two daughters, Chloe, the oldest. She turned 10 today, so it's her birthday. Uh, and Olivia will be five next week. So just two girls. And uh, in terms of what I do day to day, I'm a traditional teacher slash educator because I was a principal and vice principal at a time. But I actually stepped down from those roles to be able to focus more on things like podcasting and entrepreneurial ventures while still being able to maintain some of the day job. Uh, I work in a pretty unique day job too, which really ties into fatherhood because I work with youth in mental health schools. So in the city of Ottawa, how we support youth who can't be in a regular school because of a mental health need, we have schools that we teach to them in hospitals, jails, stuff like that. There's actually 50 plus teachers who support those youth in their high school education. So that's what I do day to day and uh, I could go on for a while, but that's the basic summary. Awesome. Um, so let's, can, can we talk about your, your adopted daughter? Cause this is for us this is the first to have a father who has adopted a child before. Um, and so we'd love to hear just a little bit, well, not a little bit, as much as you want to share about that whole process. Um, you know, cause that can be a very challenging thing. And I think maybe a lot of people don't 
really understand everything that goes into that. So maybe that's a good starting point for us today. Yeah, for sure. And it's a huge one. It's one of those things that I don't know if you've seen any of the memes or like content on TikTok or Instagram about people with ADHD and how their brain bounces all over the place and they can tell all these like huge stories. So like I could tell a two hour plus version of that. Uh, <laughs> I won't, but uh, definitely you can ask any follow up questions you have because I'll try and keep it as, as brief as possible. Um, Chloe is adopted. Uh, she was born to a teen mom who was really struggling with uh, schizophrenia, psychosis, uh, addiction, homelessness. And uh, she, she's pretty fortunate to really be alive because she was born at three pounds, three months premature. And also in that situation where, you know, six months in utero, you can imagine the food and nutrition, the ability to get any rest, um, a lot of toxic environments, uh, no stable living, stuff like that. So she had it pretty rough, uh, lived through that bounced in and out of foster care believe it or not five total homes by the time she was 11 months old and at 11 months she came into foster care with the person that is now her grandmother and that's my mom so my mom does foster work um when she brought her in that was the uh it was the friday before easter uh in 2012 i guess 2014 um and so when she brought her in, the house was really busy at the time and she wasn't able to really take care of other children and they were actually going away for the weekend. So she asked me if I would come watch Chloe and then she was able to say to Child Protective Services that she would take another child on. And so the really unique thing about that is our family had had has had now upwards of 40, 50 foster kids over the years. And at that time, um, I had never been there for that amount of time the beginning of them coming into the home. So I was actually the first and only person that was kind of able to be with her those first couple of days. So that's where it started. Again, you can a ask follow-up questions because a few months later, we put forth a plan to adopt her. That would have been in August and Child Protective Services all the way up to supervisors said, yep, there's no other family involved. You can go ahead and adopt. And then I got a call about a month later saying that we couldn't adopt uh, because they had found another family. And it basically became a legal battle from October, November, all the way up until just before Christmas, where that was finally wrapped up, where we were basically fighting for the rights to be able to adopt her. Um, yeah. So can you can you talk a little bit about just, you know, so between you and your wife, then the, the emotional and kind of mental stress that that must have taken on both of you and, and even in your relationship together, um, you know, because that that's got to be absolutely heart wrenching. Yeah, to, to, to think you're going to have her and then maybe not. Right. Yeah, it was really tough. And one of the things that I really think about when I think back to that moment, because it was quite a while ago now that given that she turned 10 today. Right. And so she wasn't even she's basically from a year to a year and a half was when this was taking place. You know, I look back on that and I think of a lot of uh, goals that people set or when they think of being resilient, like how ridiculously resilient we had to be at that time to kind of go through that period. I remember there were many nights where we were crying in the evening, you know, my wife cried herself to sleep, you know, what if we aren't able to fully adopt? And then all I did was go head down, working my ass off to find lawyers and case law and 
previous examples that we could use and just do a lot of the legwork for my lawyer so that I would have to pay as much, but also just more importantly, to make sure that we could win the case. And so in terms of the emotions, it was extremely difficult. The really unfortunate thing about it was because I work in this line of work, we actually have a school specifically under the Child Protective Services umbrella of those youth. And then so much of the work that I do is connected to that. And then the foster care that my mom's been doing for over 20 years. I'm in that world a lot. I know a lot of the people that work in that organization. So prior to us ever getting excited, painting a room, you know, getting a crib or telling anyone, uh, much like people do when they're pregnant, you know, you're not sharing that information because you want to make sure you're out of that kind of like window. And so we were really overcompensating on the idea of not getting our hopes up. And then what ended up happening was it was very much after they said, yep, there's nothing that's going to get in the way now. But much like a lot of times when the left hand, right hand don't know what each other are doing, one person told us, yes, somebody else kind of went back on that because of they thought that it really shouldn't be in their policies where someone who's kin through a secondary relationship of foster care should be able to jump the line ahead of people waiting to adopt a baby. I see. So, um, yeah, just, I, I, I can't, so you had none, none of your own either that you, you, is this something you always wanted to do? Like you had always wanted to adopt given that you had been working in, in kind of the system, so to speak, and, and knew the struggles, or was it something that kind of just dawned on you one day or how, how did you arrive at that decision in the first place? I was definitely that teacher over the years and I could name some specific scenarios, but who like, you know, you see that kid who's in, uh, what we call here short term as CAS there, maybe CPS, but, you know, child protective services and uh, living in foster homes, bouncing in and out of group homes who always like would joke about it. Like, oh, I wish I could just adopt this kid, you know, kind of that bleeding heart that wants to help youth turn things around. And sadly, because a lot of times uh, and I'm sure this is I know it's such a huge topic on your show, trying to improve as parents and our ability to lead, especially teenagers is where my real strengths and background is it's easier than it looks in some ways and in some ways it's harder than it looks for sure but there's like cheat codes you know and so seeing the struggles that foster parents or group homes would have with some of these youth and knowing that they could turn things around given the right environments and the right circumstances i always made jokes about that but i was never necessarily serious in my kind of bucket list plan to answer your question to adopt a child um and also, even within our family, like I said, uh, a manager with CPS made a really rude remark to me at one point during this whole battle. It was the last time I actually spoke to someone without a lawyer. And he said that I should go to counseling or therapy because I'm going to lose because the courts will see our relationship as um, not as artificial, as an artificial, an artificially familial or kin based relationship, like that it's not a real relationship and i didn't hang up because i was still kind of fighting the, the fight but um thinking back to moments like that uh i was saying to him like we've had 40 kids come through our house and never has this ever come up it's the first time so all of the kind of stars were aligned because we had just moved in together we were going to get married we had a house for the first time and things like that and then chloe came along Gotcha. Justin, that argument well, doesn't make any sense. I'm artificially related to my son because I bore him. Like, 
why was that a problem that there's a kin relationship? That seems like that's a positive and not a negative. Maybe I'm misunderstanding his argument. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think you're misunderstanding. Like, I, I think you and I completely agree. I would, you know, be maybe putting words in other people's mouths on this episode or people listening, but I think everyone agrees. It was ridiculous. Um, you know, there aren't too many times in my life where I thought if I ever see that person again, <laughs> they might have to walk fast the other way, but that was definitely one of them. Uh, and like looking back to that, I kept so many notes in a notebook that I've never even opened uh, because I, I think I'm pretty good with grief and processing emotions and things like that, but I need the timing to be right. And so I'm so excited to go back and open that someday because I will. And I was thinking like I could do something like a found poem or create a story using the exact basically scripts that I have of that crazy few months. Um, and yeah, no, that was definitely one of the very ridiculous things. I mean, it was that coupled with telling me that I should go to therapy because I'm not going to win the argument. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have an argument to stick up for what he was trying to say. Uh, he, it was just, I think it was that ridiculous to be honest. Uh, I feel like, and I get it. I don't necessarily put on the suit and tie like I used to when I wanted to try and get jobs and, you know, the whole idea of like first impressions or what have you, you know, I probably looked like a young person who, and again, in his words is just like, uh, kind of falling in love and it's not really, you know, like it was kind of like as if I was immature and that's why I was right. excited to adopt. Yeah. And uh quick, quick shout out. Happy birthday to Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, think... make sure she sees us today. She used this software twice today to record videos. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. She's a little Very content cool. creator herself. Awesome. Well, uh, clear, had a I was going to say, with, clearly with the adversities that you've faced, and I, I can tell you're kind of one of those introspective people that takes notes, that that follows through with, with thought process after the fact. Um, so someone who has kind of a hindsight 2020 um, with not only the adoption process, but also being in that, that kind of field of work, what kind of advice or uh, quick pointers could you give somebody that's hopeful to adopt that might help a father you know, be better equipped along the way? Uh, thank you. First off, I feel like the overarching kind of buzzword thoughts that go into any relationship are valuable, like the fact that the right relationship will come along. You know, I hate to compare adopting to finding a life partner, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. But similarly, people, when they really stress about it so much that it's kind of not going to happen or it needs to be this particular uh situation or whatever i think if we kind of let go and relinquish control a little bit then the right relationship's going to come along so long as you are and this is maybe the second point uh prepared in that you know your home is safe and the environment is something that if somebody else looked into it they would think oh this would be a great place for a child to thrive as opposed to just survive and those types of things certainly help I feel like definitely getting into uh, learning about attachment theory and attachment-based parenting is something that no doubt can go a really long way because one of the most underestimated things when it comes to adoption is the idea that that removal from a household doesn't matter if you're coming from overseas or it's you know domestic here and you're being removed from your parents or you left at birth. 
it really, all of it doesn't really matter. Trauma can affect the child no matter what age they were or when they were removed. And so I feel like understanding that and then how to deal with that accordingly would be another thing that's really helpful. I hate to be too woo wooey, but I feel like, you know, it's kind of like the Desiderata poem, you know, like if what's meant to be is, is what's gonna, gonna be. Right. And that, that's so important because, you know, I've said this before in, in other interviews, but we don't want to dim the light of our children or potential children. And so we always want to make sure that we, we grow that and we foster that. So uh, are there any other few things that you would equip a father with specifically that's trying to prepare for possible adoption? Other than the things that you've mentioned, obviously. One of the things that's specific to fathers that I think is really, really neat is that most of the science will point to the fact that there's a primary attachment figure, right? And so with our second daughter, there's no denying that that primary attachment figure is her mom, like just because she was, you know, carrying her for so long in utero. And now that's not to say that fathers can't be right there, but there's always going to typically be that one person where they will feel the most safe and comfortable. What's really interesting about adoption is that that's, that doesn't exist. It's like, it's like a kind of like a level playing field right off the bat. And so that's been very interesting to watch play out in our family because my wife would be the first person to say that if we had to just pick, go with our gut, you know, the, like when you do the marriage um, games and they have to like write an answer down and see who compared, we would both write that I'm her primary attachment figure. Uh, when she first, before she moved in, for months before she moved in, she would come watch uh, Monday night football and then she'd do a sleepover on Thursdays too, which there was often some football that night. And she nice. was actually, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's like, it's fun doing this podcast right now, but I almost wish like I could show pictures and stuff too. Um, okay. but I'm thinking back to pictures of me holding her and bottle feeding her, even though prior to that, she was past the point of needing a bottle, but it was just a way of making sure that we're kind of repairing some of that attachment piece. And usually that would be a mom, but it was me. Who's yeah. uh, who's your team, Justin? Lions. Nice. Okay. Nice. Okay. Yep. I'm smiling for the first time in a very long time because I think we're going to have a fun fall. Um, but more so, honestly, I'm not even as big of an NFL fan as I am a college fan. Uh, my uncle played at Michigan, won a Big Ten championship, and I'm a huge okay. Wolverines fan. Oh, sweet. They've actually cool. the last okay. few yeah. years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, was gonna, I was just going to ask if it was about proximity. Canada to Michigan is nearly as far as, you know, somewhere else. But, okay, I get the the familial bond now to the state. Makes sense. Um, yeah. So in, in my family, just quickly uh, for background, my mom is American, born and raised in Dearborn slash Detroit, Michigan. Okay. And then her, all her siblings, cousins, and uncle, the entire family tree is in the state of Michigan. And then my dad's from the entire family tree is in Ottawa, Canada. That's awesome. Very man. cool. <laughs> I want to touch real quick, if I can. Uh, I, I think what you touched on, there's something... You know, talking about that kind of relationship, I mean, that relationship can happen, you know, whether they're actually physically or biologically your child or not. I think it's the little things that a lot of dads don't realize. And this is just something I wanted to point out. Like you said, your, your child was watching, you know, sports with you. That is something that I, I ritually do with my son every single morning when he drinks his bottle. He comes to our bed. It's the only time he's allowed in our bed. And he sits on me and he watches ESPN and it pisses my wife off because that's our time. And I'm the only one he grabs for now. And it drives her nuts because he is obsessed with me. 
he's a daddy's boy, but we watch sports. We like MLB and we like our football, but I think that's something that people just don't really focus on is, you know, just 15 minutes together every single day can really drive not only traumas and issues and things away, but I think it can really grow. Just having a daily routine with your kid is just something that I don't think enough parents realize truly affect them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like any, you know, the atomic habits idea of building any habit towards a goal. Um, there's no more important one than when it comes to our children. And it's interesting because I don't want to knock um, other really successful people who didn't put their family first. Like, I don't think this is the type of show to really be bashing people. You know, I, I grew up with parents of divorce, which is an interesting topic too. Uh, but I do feel like there have been so many times where I've wanted to get a podcast episode out. This this is a perfect example. Our daughter had to stay home from school and I had something that I wanted to get done on the business side of life. And it was a little bit stressful and tough, but just being able to say, okay, this is more important. And the reason I bring that up as an example is that the example that you're sharing is a habit that you could be doing something else or doesn't necessarily need to be that time to be spending with your child, but you are doing that, which I think it just adds up and it's so worthwhile because to me, it's definitely the most important thing. And then above and beyond that, we can succeed in our other endeavors. At least that's my stance. And, uh, and yeah, just, just to kind of, yeah, just to add on to that, like, like you just said, and you don't, a lot of parents don't realize and they take time for granted Time is something that is ever changing and moving. We will never get it back. And kids are only little for so long, man. And it's something I've seen on Instagram reels and everywhere else lately. But like, it's really getting hammered home right now. And I'm, I'm grateful that people are starting to see this. But like, you don't realize that you're going to blink and that time is gone. And there may be a time they don't even want to hang out with you, you know. And and so I say, I tell parents, you know, soak that up. And I, I try to take every moment, just be present, like you said, because that, that may be the only time you have to be with them. You know, um, there can be, you know, circumstances or things that change in your life and, and, you know, you're, you are required to have to work more. So yeah, no, that's, that's, that's cool, man. That you, you think that way too. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the only thing I was going to say is that I, I couldn't agree more, of course. And the other part that I think ties into that is the idea that, in her case, you know, a lot of her story, this is one of the other things I know, Brandon, you asked uh, tips for adoption, just to go back to that quickly, that really ties into this too, is that I think one of the most important things to remember is that a person's adoptive story is kind of their story. And as they mature, this is something that people get really struggled with is that, and I've had friends who find out they're adopted when they're, you know, 17, 16, 18, 20, and those kinds of things. So tying back into that adoption piece I feel like it's so important to let that story evolve, but always be very transparent with our kids uh, in all cases, but, you know, certainly with respect to adoption and then for them, when it comes to that, like, I just think, what was, sorry, what was the question again, quickly? I, I th he actually disconnected. He... <laughs> I, think, so I, th I think Justin might've had a power outage or something, but um <laughs> I think he was just kind of just, I don't know if there was necessarily questions more just uh, he was hitting on how important it is to just take, take advantage of the time that you do have and, and not, you know, take that for granted, I think is where he was kind of going, but yeah. Um, okay. That, sorry. Quickly. Yeah. 
Go ahead. There, now you're back. It's perfect. <laughs> so when they're trying to learn something too, and it's going slowly, like toileting being a perfect example, or there's so many other examples, sleep schedule. A lot of times as parents, we want to rush to put them to bed and things like that. And I think that was what I wanted to say is that it really ties into that piece as well. Yeah. Like all those little milestones is, is part of their story. And, and it's also part of your story as their parent, right? So don't, don't try and like rush past them all. It's not a competition on who gets their first type. Oh of my yeah. gosh, that's, that's, yeah. I'm in that phase where my son's like on the cusp of, he's been able to walk for months, but he just doesn't want to. He's like, he's doing it on his own time. And I keep hearing him get compared to other kids. And I'm like, stop, just stop. It's not a competition. Who cares about anyone else's kid? It's about what your kid needs and wants, you know? And I think that's a hard thing to understand because everyone wants, you know, results now. And it's like, no, your kid needs to go at their own pace and let them be comfortable and learn in a a healthy way, you know? And the stuff, it'll surprise you. I thought I was going to hate potty training. It's gross, you know, and it's annoying. And it's some of the funniest stories and the best times I've had with my son were hilarious mishaps involving, you know, potty (laughs) training. And and so it could actually be so much fun, you know, to go through all those, those seemingly, you know, not necessarily fun uh, chores. And then when he's getting married, you can talk about it at the wedding on the stage and, you know, come full circle. Uh, Now bring it back to a more serious, serious note, serious question for you, Justin. Um, Do you think that you had a distinct advantage to be an adoptive father, given your background, like with all of your training and just experience um, in that field? Or do you think it's kind of just a total, you know, like anyone could have the same uh, ability to do just as well? Um, Because I think that's maybe a lot of people's concern about adoption is just all the uncertainty about it. And just it's not really talked about, I feel like. Um, So from your perspective, what do you think? Yeah, there's not a lot of things where I would be sort of really confident in saying that I have a real advantage over people. Um, There are only a few, but definitely that would be one of them. Like I'd be lying if I said, no, everyone would have a completely level playing field. That's not to say that colleagues I have are like super prepared or things like that. For me personally, like I did my master's of education in all this stuff, working with marginalized youth and how to work with kids with trauma and all this kind of stuff. Like it's always been a very big interest of mine. So I've gone to like a very deep level of learning it. So definitely within our household, you know, or even my parents or friends, it's almost exhausting to be honest, because I get a lot of people asking questions often, you know, about can I'm dealing with this with my own kid or a student in my classroom or what have you. Um, And it's actually kind of easier in our house because you can kind of see everything, right? I always tell people that like these answers scale down to our DNA, like they're as specific as one kid. So it can be very hard to make blanket statements, Uh, but definitely a huge advantage that I'm super grateful for. Uh, But I feel like anybody could get there if they, you don't need formalized education to do it, but you need to learn. Uh, the, The tricky part that would be hard to fake is learning in real life, like live action with kids. You know, I've always worked in the special education departments within school boards and parks and recreation as well. Oftentimes when I was like, when I was in the sixth grade, I was working with kindergarten kids in a daycare uh, as a volunteer. When I was in the 12th grade, I was coaching the eighth and seventh grade sports. Like working with kids was always an interest of mine, kind of like to the point of being a bit of a nerd. And so, and it just kind of grew from there. I worked with Parks and Rec, like I said, and then the school board. So definitely uh, 
it helped, but I don't feel like it should prevent anybody else from becoming an apparent, a parent adoptive or otherwise. So Justin, you're an incredible mentor. I mean, it sounds like this is something you've been passionate about for a long time. I know um, I did Big Brothers Big Sisters for a couple of years and I had a great relationship um, with Jack. Uh, we, we're still friends, um, but I got a lot of weird, like, why do you want to hang out with a 10 year old? Like what's, you know, it, like, what do you think happened to male culture to where it's weird or men just don't want to mentor or hang out with, you know, young, young boys or people they can help? Um, and how do you think that can change to where it becomes something that men want to do as opposed to, you know, it almost seems like very unusual that someone like yourself is as passionate and interested in, um, you know, these kids who clearly need this help and something that's been wonderful for you as well. Yeah, that's a huge topic. Back to the idea of talking about something for two hours. <laughs> um, and that's, a, that's a sad one because when I was a kid, there was, a, I had two mentors like that when my parents were going through the divorce and when I was playing football, they were coaches one, you know, I don't know, three or four times in a season took me for like ice cream after one of our games. Right. Uh, and then the other would have some of us as uh, athletes over to his apartment and like, let us play video games or whatever. And looking back on those moments, to me, they were arguably life-saving. I mean, we never know when it comes to the real serious mental health stuff. We can certainly get into that, but I really had a very, very tough Basically 14 to 24 roughly was tough for me with depression and anxiety, very dark times. And there are people, those two, and then a psychologist that I really say in many ways saved my life. I've put myself in positions to mentor like that as an adult more recently, and a lot of times being criticized for it. Um, the job that I specifically have right now, actually, before coming on here, I was sending a message to a female student who's 16 of mine, and then also her dad, because they both have cell phones and I have to meet her tomorrow morning and I'm going to meet him first. So he knows who the heck she's meeting up with, but it's a really delicate, like unfortunate thing that exists because I feel like, you know, the kind of bad people ruin it for everyone else. And with media and the way that news spreads, there's like a positive of it, but there's also the negative side of it. I feel like where everyone tries to over-index and overcompensate on the side of like making rules around ch protecting children. The, the, the unfortunate thing is I can't argue with the fact that it's way better to protect as many children as possible than have a whole bunch of awesome mentors out there. And I guess to bring it full circle to the title of the show is like, if we can create that in-house, it is going to be that much better. The sad thing is as a teen, I know for me that it was better. I was best off having some role models outside of my family circle. And if you were going to open up or tell people that you're struggling, you're usually not going to do it in a large group. Usually is a one-on-one -on -one situation that someone discloses that they're having a, a tough time. So it's such a delicate topic. And the reason why I said it could take us two hours is because I don't know what the answers are. Um, but I think people steer away from it because it's just kind of societally become... Um, like people see it as weird or something. Yeah. And it's like, we live in a world too, like you were hitting on media, you know, if you're labeled something once it may stick forever now, you know, and like how many, how many people have gotten fired from a job because someone just accused them of something that they never even did. You know, I mean, it's just, that's the world we live in today. So yeah, that is a, it's a superly, you know, or massive 
unfortunate side effect of that because uh yeah i mean it, it's a couple people who were abusive and probably took advantage of that position but i agree i mean there's people in my life who at key moments in my life when i was struggling you know played a very similar role where it was you know it was like at the church with the youth pastor or whatever like all these little things where it was just like four of us hanging out and i needed that i needed to get away from my parents divorce and having that space to not have to be at home save me, you know, to, to stay focused on school and all the things I had to do. So I can really relate with having those people outside of your immediate family playing that role for you. And, but yeah, I mean, nowadays, yeah, <laughs> like if you said, if you walked up to someone and said, I want to do that, they'd be like, what kind of creep are you? You know? And that's um, unfortunate. So yeah, maybe we should spend a little time in this episode talking about how we can work against that because, uh, you know, Dustin, you were pretty passionate the first time you mentioned to us that you had been, uh, you know, that role for someone, and it probably is a huge need in our culture um, across the board. Yeah, I know when I signed up and said, hey, I want to be a mentor, they said, absolutely, you know, you've got, we need men. Um, there's a wait list a mile long of women who are willing to mentor girls, but there are no men that want to help little boys or young men, and it's, um, that needs to change. That's crazy to me. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it also comes back to a. We also live in an age where social media is, and, and the internet, just in general, have changed how our world works. Um, unfortunately, predators find prey much easier, and that prey is usually children. And we're working against that as good dads and as as people who want to give our time and, and give our wisdom and our advice and, and you know whatever we have to offer. Uh, it's, it's, it's working against this on a daily basis because you have people who, you know, they're doing uh, unspeakable things to children and, and they're taking advantage of situations and people. And then on top of that, I mean, and this is something I, I don't know if we should talk on too much, but um, sex trafficking is in the last 10 years has quite quadrupled is what they said. I think the the percentage was like 412% or something like that. I read something about it the other day. Um, and Ash, actually Ashton Kutcher, a little known fact, he's a huge, huge advocate against that. Um, that's why I actually absolutely respect that man. He's done so much. He has his own nonprofit and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I absolutely yeah, adore Tebow. that guy. Tim Tebow yeah. has a foundation. Tim, Tim's another Tebow one. Yeah. Well. So, but, you know, on that topic and, and Justin, you know, you, you live in Canada, so you, you have a different perspective than, than the four of us here on, on maybe that type of issues. My thought is, how is a former actor and former football player, the ones leading the charge in the United States about stopping sex trafficking over, like, I don't know, the FBI or Border Patrol or, you know what I mean? Like, how, how <laughs> to me, that baffles me, that it's just like a couple dudes trying to do the right thing is making more of an impact than the entire all the resources that are available you know, in the United States, that that's a little baffling to me as a Canadian, with a different perspective. What do you think about that? And given your background too, you know, is, have you seen things at the tactical level that people just in their local communities could do to make a difference? Yeah, that gave us tons of clay to work with there for sure. <laughs> um, with the respect to the celebrity thing, I think maybe the FBI or in, you know, over here, the RCMP and police forces, uh, maybe are just more private about it, but I think they're making a lot of arrests and I think they're doing a lot of good things too. Um, I have a very interesting perspective because I've worked with youth who have been human trafficked and I've worked with youth who are currently serving time 
for human trafficking. So um, kind of come at it at both angles from the experience that I've had working with kids who have had to deal with those sort of things. But And I do think it is an awesome topic to get into. Before I forget, when it came to the big brothers, big sisters, and how we can kind of like do certain things, I did just want to mention, I think this also ties into preventing that kind of reputation or what have you. Um, you know, doing things in public, but still one-on-one is a good example. So like tomorrow I'll meet my student at a coffee shop, right? So, you know, kind of false accusations are pretty hard to make in a mall or a coffee shop or something like that. Um, and then transparency too, I feel like is huge, you know? So when I knew that I was going to be meeting her tomorrow, I sent this message, you know, I told her, can I have your dad's number? I sent him a message too, so that he's in the loop, that kind of thing. Uh, and I could tell another story about like more of a nightmare story with that, but I'll, I'll hold off for now because, um, I think when it comes to the human trafficking piece specifically, it's worth some time. Um, I really want to hear more about that. That's fascinating that you got both sides. So you actually had minor children that were helping traffic other children. Yeah. So, um, I think it's a lot more popular and a lot more common than people think, uh, especially like domestically, because when we see the stuff that like in the Avicii music video and the rumors that he was going to uncover the big underground worldwide global human trafficking ring. And it's like, you know, uh, uh, some like hidden old plane with a bunch of like kids covered in dirt in it, you know, flying across the country from like other countries. I think that's like the kind of like stereotypical version of it. But on your own soil, in your own cities, the ability to lure kids, you know, with drugs, money, even just like cool things, whatever, like video games, the ability to like buy cigarettes for them and then slowly build uh, cell phones, like a really common one, clothing, whatever, things that young preteens, 12, 13 year olds are going to really like. And then you build that kind of trust and authority over them, which is so damn easy to do for a child. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're taking them to cities that are a couple hours away, you know, just a little bit removed, um, for whatever it could be drugs. If it was male, a lot of times, but you know, typically again, stereotypically we're thinking females and sex crimes. Um, but yeah, so I've worked, uh, in a couple schools, one for addictions and one for teen pregnancy and parenting. And so the school for teen moms, I've worked with a few survivors of human trafficking. And then one of the other schools I work in is a jail for youth. And so youth have come in on those same charges because they were the ones, because they're that age, doing the initial luring. Well, I, you know, when you say that, I think one of the biggest things for me that just really immediately stands out is this is why it's so important for a dad as a protector to be present in their children's lives and for their children's uh, or their children to be uh, parent oriented and attached instead of peer oriented. Because when you have them peer oriented, that opens up that door if that if that person's evil or has ulterior uh, motives. And then with the dad being present and and being someone who vets their friendships, you know, I think that's another way that dads are protecting their children too. It's, it's so sad because what our society needs is safe men. And when I say safe men, I say men who don't have any of these issues that protect people from it. They protect women and children 
at all costs, even at their own lives. Um, and they, they have a general masculine true sense of what like real men can be. Like we talk about in one of our previous episodes with tender warrior, you know, being a tender warrior is exactly the kind of men we need. And that's, I think that's why it's so crucial for us on our podcast is we want to swing that pendulum back towards where, you know, society sees men as something that can be safe and protect their children. And I don't know, are there other things besides a dad being present like that, that would keep our children safe in situations like this? I, to touch on that, I feel that one of the challenges that I have and that you guys will have or already have with this show, uh, reminds me of, I'm in a, a book club right now, uh, for a book called hold on to your students, which is uh, very similar to the book, hold on to your kids, um, or reclaiming our students at risk. I'm getting my Gabor Mate connections all confused and my Gordon Neufeld connections confused. Yeah. So, so, uh, reclaiming our youth at risk, reclaiming our students is a very similar book title. And so I asked that author in the first day of this book club, I said to her, you know, like, how are you going to scale this to the people who need to hear this? Because all of us on this call, this is like the 10th book in this realm that we're reading. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are the people who want to be present fathers. The challenge is that a lot of youth who end up becoming victims of this, not to say they don't come from privileged families with good parents, but a lot of times it's people who don't necessarily know how to even access a podcast. And they there's criminals are so smart in that world. They're taking advantage of people that don't have the things that you're referencing, right? So I think the whole goal with all of these things, any of these topics that come up tonight is to just move the needle at least a little bit, right? Because those kinds of things to me are a little bit like pessimistic, but it's just, it's so hard because the, they, they know who to lure, right? Well, and it's even an entire cultural, I mean, I know for me, the term I always hear is, oh, you want to be a protective father? You're just a white knight, right? It's like the sarcastic reference that being the type of person you're talking about, Brandon, is a bad thing. Which is crazy to me because I don't think anyone thought that, you know, 50 years ago, but we've kind of shifted it to where it's now this cultural zeitgeist of that's a weird, um, you know, over the top kind of man that wants to be protective like that. And that's a shame because that's, as you mentioned, Brian, that's exactly what we need. Yeah. And, and you know, we also need strong men. Um, one of my favorite quotes from a movie or a well, TV show uh, was from True Detective. It was Rust Cole, which is uh, Matthew McConaughey's character. And he get asked, he's, he's asked about good men and they're having a conversation, a theological conversation about bad men and good men. And uh, he said, the world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men from the door. And that's 100% true. And as a father, we need to be, and I'm not saying be a bad person. I'm saying you need to be a man who has the strength and potential to be bad for your kids or to let them understand that they can come to you with anything so that if you have a situation that is sketchy or something going on, you can step in and say, all right, this is my son. This is my daughter. You are not going to play this. You are not going to knock on this door. And if you do, you better come prepared. I have a special set of skills. I'm just saying I'm passionate about that, man, especially with what's been going on in America. Eating cookies doesn't count, Dustin. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you owe me a steak, so you need to be quiet. Um, But Well, so the, I mean, the, the mentality that you're, trying or uh, talking about is you know if uh if you're not capable of violence you're not peaceful you're helpless right so you have to be able and when i say violence that could just be words right it's not 
not literally going and like trying to hurt people, but if, if your family or th those you love is under attack in some way, you have to have the confidence and the, you know, the dangerous capability to kind of step in between and be the shield for them. Right. So, yeah, exactly. you know, if you're just being a, a timid, nice guy all the time, you know, there, there's a time and place that's a balance, right? That's why we, that's why we did the tender warrior episode is because it, you have to be both right. The warrior and the poet, you can't just be, a brute and you can't just be a doormat either but we're kind of, i think we're going off on a tangent yeah here. no i don't i don't mean <laughs> to go there but, but just to, to reiterate like jordan peterson said it best himself safe men are dangerous i was about and to say who's going to bring up jordan peterson first yeah, i didn't want to be the one to do it, Brandon, it, it, it surprisingly <laughs> became me so. justin beat him to the punch this time <laughs> yeah Brandon's that's the only reason yeah, i was yeah. actually going to say a lot like you know we've all heard the quote it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war uh, or you, you have to be a monster and then learn how to control it. And that's what Jordan Peterson talks about is learning how to tame the monster inside as a man, because we are all capable of very physical, very um, evil actions. But uh, a true disciplined man keep all of that in control through through himself. And then he can unleash it if necessary and in, in the the right object, uh, objective way. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd love to touch on that quickly too, because uh, Justin, what you said, I, I think can often be uh, misunderstood too, in the sense of, and this kind of ties into one of the horror stories that I have that like, I, I'm sure every teacher would be like, oh my God, I can't even imagine that happening. Uh, that ties very much into all of this that I referenced earlier. And overarching though first, I think a lot of times we think we're doing the right thing by being somewhat protective. And then we're actually pushing our kids away, especially again, same age, we're talking about human trafficking, those preteen ages, if you're too overbearing, not necessarily what you were saying, Dustin, I think about being overprotective, like, but I, I think more that male that, and again, I'm thinking of daughters in this case, but a lot of times, either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, Brandon, you mentioned the idea of being as opposed to being peer relationships and peer connected, you know, being parent connected. But sometimes when we have the overbearing parents, it's just about knowing the personality of the kid, because sometimes that can turn them off from wanting to be connected with you so damn fast too. And so that's very similar to what was going on in a family that I was supporting for a couple of years at the point that this thing happened. And it was uh, a family of divorce as well. So there was mom and boyfriend and dad and girlfriend, and there was actually grandparents involved. But I knew these this kid very well for a couple of years and then the second year that i knew her uh she was babysitting for actually chloe but chloe was a foster kid at the time and so she was babysitting for our daughter so it was that classic idea of you know um dad and babysitter type relationship um, but I also knew her from the community and so mom and stepdad and grandparents were so thankful uh but biological father was more down that route of what we talked about earlier, who's this creepy guy, you know, driving my daughter and stuff like that. And he stormed into the school that I was working in and made false accusations that I was abusing his daughter. Um, of course, everybody on the other side of the family and grandparents were like mortified and upset. His daughter was very upset. Um, really, in hindsight, there was not too much that I could have done because he was, you know, thinking that he needed to really protect his daughter and kind of misreading the the situation a little bit. Um, years later, you know, she's much more grown up now. It's like eight years later. She's thanked me for being that person who saved her life. 
And so it was worth it. It was a necessary situation or necessary evil kind of situation, but it was tough at the time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a question for you just on a personal level. So, you know, you, you work and you deal with these very difficult things. Um, and so then how do you come home and kind of make sure that it's left at the door in a sense, right? How do how do you insulate your kids from all the mess that you're surrounded by in these situations and not letting it kind of poison your relationship with them? Cause I think that that's a, um, a legitimate struggle for a lot of dads in, in, a, in a lot of different lines of work, not just, you know, similar to what you're doing, but it, I think a lot of guys struggle with kind of leaving it at the door and saying, okay, it's time to set that aside. I need to be present with my kids now and with my wife and, um, you know, keep the culture of my family strong. So what are some of the things that you do that, you know, dads could, could implement in their life? Yeah, there's two things. One is similar to what I referenced earlier about being fortunate for having a certain type of background. I grew up in a family business in the funeral industry. And that may seem like a weird connection, but I used to live in a funeral home when I was nine, 10 years old. And I specifically remember one night saying to my dad, because there was a girl my age, same age as me, laying in a coffin, waiting for her wake tomorrow and for her family to come in for the visitation. And I said, like, I can't sleep. Can I go say a prayer by her casket before I go to bed? My dad's like watching hockey or whatever. And he's like, yeah, no problem. So I just dipped out. I remember saying to her, like, I'm not going to take any day for granted for the rest of my life because, you know, you're my age and you didn't get to live and I do and I don't know why or whatever. But and then I went back to sleep. I was sleeping like two minutes later. Uh, and so I grew up in that world. My dad's been in that business for over 40 years. Um, and I feel like there is such a big connection to that type of work where it's like you can't be taking those stories home. And there's like 40 of those a month in that business. Um, and then struggling to put those emotions aside to work with your own family. At the same time, when you're doing the work, you have to be, emo you can't just be uh, glossy eyed, like not present. So I feel like some of that really, really hurt me as a young kid. Like I don't advise anyone to have their kids grow up in that environment. Uh, but then it swung the other way where it became a positive because again, just deep gratitude. And that's a buzzword we use, which connects, I think, to the second thing that I wanted to share was like, you can't fake that you aren't going to be affected. And I think there's no better example than that. I will butcher the reference because I don't remember his name, but he wrote a book within the FBI about how to deal with investigating child homicides and like to help people learn the exact question you just asked, right? How do you cope with these things when you see such heinous things and you have all these stories in your day to day? and be able to separate them and compartmentalize. And then he still ended up dying by suicide later in his life. And I feel like we'd be pretending if we were like, oh, it doesn't affect me, right? So back to the tangible things, I do feel like uh, the book, The Power of Now, like in actually living the idea of being present and mindfulness. So when I'm with my kid at the park at 3.30, even if I had a crazy conversation 45 minutes before that, or 45 seconds, it's like I'm living in that exact second and in that exact moment. So they are able to be separated that way. Um, I do a lot of things on the creative, you know, right side of the brain sort of stuff, whether it's painting, poetry, you know, having conversations like this and making content, anything to 
not just get your mind off of it, but go into something that again, gives you mindfulness. Um, the guys who wrote the book, um, design your life, talk about trying to do as many things as you can that increase your energy, increase your flow and your ability to tune out the rest of the world. So I think in any spare time we have, you, you do those things. That's good. I think this is a good segue into a very similar question I had, but more to like the other side of what you do in, uh, for work and, and in your kind of professional life is, you know, your, po- your podcast is very focused on the growth mindset and kind of the business mindset, but how have you taken those principles and things you've learned interviewing people, you know, who have, who have built businesses and, and gone after it? How have you taken those things and put them into your life? And, and same, same type of question, you know, what are some of those, um, you know, habits that other dads could start implementing to, to be more effective uh, fathers, you know, kind of treat their family like a business in a way. It sounds weird to say that, but, you know, kind of putting in those safeguards or handrails. Yeah, this is a deep one for me, too, because um, I, I don't, you know, it's so interesting in the world of social media, how we've been connected or done different things. So I never really know what I've t- necessarily talked about with people, especially if it's been a little while ago or what people have seen, of course. Um, but in the last three years, I've lost my two younger brothers, one to a car accident, one to a heart attack. Um, and this really ties in for people watching visually on YouTube, the painting behind me, uh, my dad made just this about a month ago, I think he gave it to me and it has my brother's ashes sprinkled in it. And that's been a way for him to cope with losing his sons. Uh, before they passed in their adult years, I tried to share with them a lot of things that really helped me come out of that, like depression, anxiety stage, because there's a lot of things. But one of the big things was when I started just literally writing down the things that seemed to make it worse on one side of a paper and writing down the things that seemed to make it better on the other side, and just trying to not over plan or over function my day, but just spend as much time doing those things that make it better and not doing the things that make it worse. And it sounds like so simple and almost like silly, but I think we've had such deep philosophical conversations. Why not have something really simple to digest? But the important thing I guess I'll point out is you can't really do that exercise in like 10 minutes or even one day because you, it's kind of like an ongoing thing. It could even go on for years. You're continually kind of trying to pay attention to, you know, um, after my ball game, if I drink, then I do feel a little bit worse. You know, I, I'm not one again for blanket statements or rules because I think it boils down to the individual. Um, but, you know, when I uh, get sunlight first thing in the morning, it seems to help. And just continually um, measuring what helps and what hurts and trying to focus on that. Do they have that, Justin, in Canada? Sunlight? <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> the Florida man's throwing, throwing a shade over here. So. Yeah. Uh, My sunburned face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, so, sorry, the last question. I'll open it up to the other guys after this. But So that's a very tactical thing you can do. And we've focused in on what you do. But do you have other guys in your life or other uh, support structures that you also kind of involve in this process of whether it's kind of shedding the struggles from work or um, encouraging you to stay on track with, with your goals and your mindset? You know, do you have like a, a company of other people around you that um, kind of hold you accountable in one way, but also kind of keep you motivated and, and on, on track? You make me feel lonely now, but I think it's a good <laughs> thing. 
Um, I mean, I did like for sure at certain periods in my life, especially as an athlete, I think like you look at some of those teammates that are very much like brothers. Um, and I can still go to any of those people at any given moment. And so I feel like in being fair to other people who may be going through a tough time, that's so important that you do one person can make such a massive difference. Uh, and I know right now I don't, charge them anything. Uh, I just support a few people right now for sure. And they open up often enough how helpful it is to be able to, whether it's send me a voice note and I send one back quick, or we actually chat for a little bit of a longer time, you know, uh, once a month or once every few months. Uh, and they share that how much it's really helped them right now. I'm in that position, like for a lot of people. Um, I, absolutely have a group of close friends. I still play hockey. So, you know, I'm seeing that group on uh, Wednesdays and Fridays. And if I ever need to, I could lean on them. But I honestly feel like when I was in my early 20s, I did so much work to, for me, one of the important realizations was this whole idea that like, no one's going to be able to do this for me. And no matter who's in my life, and sadly, maybe it's because of loss. (laughs) I was like, I need to at least be always capable of, you know, thriving in all these areas, even if I'm just by myself. And it's kind of like a a Buddha sort of thing. But yeah, like that, I I really, really got to that point. And so that was an interesting question for you to to ask, because I kind of like, I don't necessarily feel like that's part of it. I feel like I can do it through like art or just intrinsically now. Well, it's good. I mean, that's good feedback because, you know, we're just we live in our little world, right? So it's, it's, it's great to hear another perspective. Um, you know, but like for me personally, the, the, the three other guys on this call with us, they're the ones that, you know, usually is my first message. If like something's going on, whether it's, I need to be better or I'm struggling. But, um, I think what you've highlighted is that everyone can find ways of, of productively handling your struggles, um, you know, and, and tailor them to, to yourself. And and I love that too bringing it back to like the DNA, it's about the individual. So you've given us a couple other ideas that we haven't really talked about before because, you know, like I said, we have our perspectives. So <laughs> that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll open it up now. I've, I've really hogged the question. So I'm sure the other guys are itching to get in. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Dustin. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, man, I, I really respect your courageousness. Um, it's so difficult for men but it's, it's, it's a courageous thing to walk through the valley of our own thoughts, uh, whether they're painful or they're good, man, it, it takes a lot of courage to get into that and to face that. It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about Jordan Peterson staring into the abyss. You'll eventually, you'll see something else other than the abyss. And if you, you haven't seen it, you're not staring long enough. And so that, that same kind of conceptualization there shows that, that men, if we really want a growth mindset, like you, you, you had preached, you, you really have to sit down and look at this is why I behave this way, or this is what has affected me in a certain way. And when we can approach those things and those thought processes and like, I love that you listed the triggers for your, your depression and anxiety. I had to do the same thing for myself. Um, like I know what triggers me. I know what helps me. Like I stack gratitude, like gratitude is one of the, altruism and gratitude are the two things that are my saving graces when I'm in those kind of ruts. Um, because like I start small and I just say, my kids are alive today. You know, um, they're breathing, they're healthy. My, my wife's alive. I'm healthy. You know, we have food on the, 
the table, you know, roofs over our heads, especially here in Mississippi with the, the tornadoes and everything going on. And, you know, it's like that could have been us. And so, you know, I, I'm just I, I try not to ever lose perspective that my life can be so much more catastrophic. And so I'm so thankful that it's where it is, you know, and I give a lot of that to God, obviously. But but yeah, it's it's such a an immense thing to sit there in our thoughts and, and really root out what is negative and what's positive. So I love that you did that, man. I just wanted to, to give you props for that, for sure. I appreciate you for saying that. I'll, I'll reference one thing that might be hilarious too, because um, remember when other Justin dropped the call and then I lost track of my train of thought? <laughs> I don't know. If, I'm sure everybody caught that. I don't know if he did or not. Uh, but the thing is, what's so interesting, and thank you for sharing as well, Brandon, about your struggles with mental health is like, for me, that's about as far as I get down the like panic attack route now. That's basically what that was. <laughs> and since I was in like my early 20s, for whatever reason, I've been able to um, cope and deal with it like in an acute manner ever since. Um, and I have a friend who's really highly medicated to deal with his mental health struggles. And we often a few times a year, and he's a big kind of like more of like a celebrity face to the mental health thing in Canada in terms of education and awareness. And he's on TV and he does a lot of speaking engagements and author and stuff like that. We talk about this over breakfast a lot of times, like we've had such different paths to get to a very similar uh, point. But for me, that's basically exactly what I experience now in terms of the depths of like feeling like a panic attack, which I'm so grateful for because it never gets into that like heart racing, symptomatic, I need to go to the hospital, I'm dying type thing. Um, <laughs> in fact, it has been so long since I've even had that kind of precursor, but that's what that was. Like, I don't know, it was like at 28 minutes or 30 minutes or something earlier today where I can, because of sadly practice or whatever, um, and working with counselors and therapists when I was younger, like get to there and then not have it escalate and then kind of get back to what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> hey, I'll say this same, same, uh, same name, same story. Uh, Brandon's kind of on a different page in his life. And so he's dealing with what I dealt with in my early to late teens. I struggle with a severe, severe anxiety, so much so that um, my extremities locked up while I was driving one time and I had to pull off the side of the road because I almost wrecked my car. Um, but I, I was a severe hypochondriac. I thought everything was going to kill me. I was afraid to go out of the house. Like, I don't know. It was pretty bad. And I don't know, man, like there's a lot of things that brought me through mainly therapy, the gym, um, you know, exercise, things like that. But, um, it's, it's been, it was a road, man. But now like things just don't bother me anymore. I really could care less. Um, it's like you, like I'll have five, six seconds. I'm like, uh, uh, and then breathe and I'm good. So, you know, it's, I get it. And Brandon's Brandon kind of was opposite. He was like, why are you freaking out? You know, back in the day. And I'm like, you just don't understand. Well, now he understands after his kids and, you know, the whole COVID phase and stuff, he's kind of shifted into where I was. So yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that you, you said that it's, I can relate for sure. Cause I'm, I'm at that point now where I'm, I have the mental fortitude that I can just kind of move past it very quickly. That, that's a huge point, too. I think back to the idea of the DNA piece, and that's maybe the theme of the show is that it's all you know specific to the individual. Another thing similar to what you had asked earlier, George, about my being fortunate to parent kids after going through all these parenting courses and collaborative problem solving, reading all these books, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, similar to that when it came to working with youth with mental health struggles is a massive, massive difference. Like a lot of the youth I work with, the doctors and therapists and uh, child and youth counselors and teachers that they work with don't know what that even feels like. And then certainly they, you could read in a manual how to support them, but there's anyone who's been through it knows that that's one of those experiences that you can't just learn by reading about it. Um, now, again, like we said earlier, that anyone could be a great parent and you can learn. I think, again, it doesn't really mean that you shouldn't be supporting youth with mental health needs. It's just like, that's one of those things that for me, I was like, okay, good. This is going to be a little bit easier because I can kind of see if a student's kind of like just staring through me or something like, and just being aware of how much to push or when to pull back and those sorts of things. And I feel like an important thing to point out is that even if I'm able to kind of cope with it and deal with it now is that everyone's journey is their own. And that definitely ties into grief. You know, there's nothing worse than, and I also understand why people do it because they're nervous. They don't know what to say, but saying like, you know, when someone dies being like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I lost my dog last week too, or, you know, like just right away jumping kind of into their story when this person's going through it, like their pain is their pain. Their suffering is individual to them. And we need to allow them space to go through it, how they need to go through it. Uh, I think is another thing that's important to kind of point out. Well, absolutely. I think um, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And that's one thing I've had to learn myself is um, just to be a listener when you're in those kind of situations more than you are a talker. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's not a suffering Olympics, right? You know, it just if you've lost someone, you know, it helps a little bit to say, okay, I understand that you went through that as well, but you know, that absolutely, you know, the last thing you want to hear right then is let me tell you about my story while you're going through this grief. You know, we we hear that over and over from people who have experienced grief that that's a classic mistake, and I know I'm guilty of that, you know, because all we know is our own experience, so it's very hard to step in someone else's shoes and just be there for them. It's much easier as men. We want to fix things. So we say, Oh, I'm going to tell you about my story and this thing that I had. And that's often the worst thing. So that is a habit that I have that I, you know, try very hard not to jump into, but um, you know, not easy. So Justin shift, uh, shifting gears a little bit question for you. I had a client when I was a personal trainer, he had four daughters age at the time, six, eight, 10 and 12. And he taught them entrepreneurship in this kind of Lord of the flies, savage capitalism system he developed for them. And I know that's a very unique situation just for him, but he would not pay them an allowance. He only paid them for doing chores, but at the time he'd pay them incredibly well, like $20 an hour to make his bed, to go take care of the garden. So not only like basic chores you'd expect of a 10 year old, like cleaning up their own room, but he had them doing all of the housework and all that and paying them very well for it. Um, Are you trying to teach your daughters any kind of entrepreneurship? How do you, apply your own skills as an entrepreneur to teach your daughters yet? Are they too young to kind of get those concepts yet? Or are you already trying to work some of that in? I hate to do this, but in case we forget, and then we don't talk about it for the next hour, and then I never come back on the show again for a while. I just want to say one thing quickly about what you were sharing is that, and then I, I will remember that and, and go down the entrepreneurship path, but who knows when we'll come back is, um, I interviewed sister Helen Prejean. I don't know if you've seen the movie dead man walking, um 90s oscar award-winning yeah incredible yeah yeah so that movie's about her life um that movie was modeled after her life after she had two clients i believe and she's had 14 since 
working on death row with inmates. And so in our conversations become a bit of a friend since been able to keep in touch with her. Like we talked about that idea of compassion, but the fun thing to get to that's like next level is even if Dustin, you know, I told you the story of my brother passing and you told me a story of, you know, an uncle that you had who died in a car accident. It was really stressful. Like, it's so fun to get to the stage where that's also okay (laughs) in our relationship and whatever. So like that part for me, like I don't get upset or become, you know, like you said, suffering Olympics. I kind of like that being like, oh, this is my time. Like, it's like, you know, I like being that reciprocal nature of like, you know, whatever. Again, it's all, it's so meta, but it's like, if you have that story and that's important to you in that moment, then even though mine's more recent, it's all it's all kind of good in terms of grief, right? And things we both wish didn't happen. And it's a, a way that we're able to connect right now. Um, but so when it comes to the entrepreneurship, I, I've had friends and I've seen different people, you know, share about the idea of like doing an allowance or doing chores and then splitting things up into, you know, uh, we're going to do uh, 40% into savings. You can go spend 20%. We're going to give, you know, 20 to charity and then you put 20 into investing in your business or something like your building or buy Pokemon cards or whatever your current investment strategy is at 10 years old or 8, 10, 12, 16. Fantastic, um, solid investment there. Or for me. 40 if you're Dustin. I was going to say, aren't some of those cards pretty valuable now? You got to catch them all. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I lost, I think, you never know. It could be like uh, an attic clean out when my parents pass, but um, I lost like a lot of, I never collected Pokemon, but both my brothers did and they are, gone so (laughs) i would inherit those and uh but i collected magic the gathering and those are pretty the first iteration of those i had like a ton and anyways i don't know where any of all of those are if i ever find them might be sitting on a lot of money and we can all have like a black lotus i have no idea i haven't seen those cards in like 25 years (laughs) yeah so who knows um but Back to the question. I don't know. I've been thinking about that a bit. Again, uh, nine and four are our girls. Um, Still a little bit young, except for the nine-year-old has been very entrepreneurial. Uh, She makes like those uh, perler melting beads, and then she'll take them to school and then sell them for like 10 cents or 25 cents. Or in the case of the one she made last night, she wants to sell it. uh, She didn't go to school today, but she wanted to sell it for $2.00. Um, she's Ooh, been inflation. <laughs> yeah. Total. Well, no, it's the amount of time it took her to make the thing. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll show you a picture of it. She's, uh, she's cat been a cat sitter for three different families near our, uh, home. Whoa. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really beautiful. Yeah, so... I would pay $3 for that. <laughs> there you go. U.S. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> what is that like 25 Canadian? I don't know. That yeah. might be going a hundred. That, that value is going a lot down now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she's always done things like that. She's always interestingly enough, talked about what she wants to do when she's older, which has changed a few times, but she's like, nobody's ever asked her really. Like she just, she's thoughtful that way. Um, and maybe it's modeling, right. Which again, brings us back to tips for parents is like, I feel, uh, that I feel like I'm very, very confident that the best way we can do any of these things is through modeling as opposed to telling people, uh, especially when it comes to like, we've talked about growth mindset and learning. So uh, with respect to the money thing specifically, 
of course, teaching financial literacy is like a massive thing, like playing Monopoly and getting really good at it and being like, yeah, this is just real life, but like you're doing it with real money in the, in the future. Uh, and, and trying to take care of yourself, you know, build businesses, whatever. But when it comes to that idea of like chores and stuff, it's interesting because kids can actually monetize so young now. It's really, really interesting. Like I was sharing, she, what she said when she turns 10, she wanted to start vlogging. So today, this is hilarious. She, we went and bought Pokemon for her birthday. So she bought a box of whatever's in it, 50 cards. Um, and then uh, she did an unboxing and she opened each of those up on a video. And so that was one video. It took her like 20 minutes. It's done. She made a thumbnail. And then the other one was uh, she streamed Roblox for like 45 minutes. And so, you know, she wants to upload her first two vlogs this week. She'll probably pump out. 465 videos this year if she wants like you know when kids get interested in something they just do it fast they don't overthink so all of a sudden her youtube channel is going to do way better than mine i'm pretty confident of that um and who knows what opportunities <laughs> it will open up you know but she could literally sell those melting beads on a shopify store right now and it might cost our family 15 dollars a month to open up the store uh and even if she sells nothing but it's like it's fun so it's interesting that you say that because i was thinking about that today uh about doing something like that, but I feel like the opportunity in today's day and age, because everything is more cost efficient and it's online and the education's out there too, that I I kind of feel like I'm leaning towards her making her own money if she makes extra spending money as opposed to making my bed and then getting money. Anyways, it's fine no matter what people want to do, um, but I think she's gonna, she's already doing that, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Why though, about, like, yeah. the decentralization of everything, right? Look at what we're doing right now. We're a bunch mm-hmm. of dudes in our offices, you know, <laughs> making a show that this never could have happened even probably 20 years ago, right? So I think Brandon had something. I totally stepped on him. Sorry. Oh, no, not at all. So knowing our kids' hearts and knowing them and where they're at as far as their chapters in life, um, it's always really good for us fathers to kind of set goals that adhere to those things that kind of um, give them growth. So um, my question to you is how, like what uh, kind of goals do you have set for your kids and how can, how can fathers uh, set goals for their children to, to encourage growth in certain areas where you may know they might, you know, that it, that it would play to their, their heart or that it would play to a weakness that they might have. Well, if I'm getting the question correctly, just let me know if, if I'm not answering it correctly, but I feel like the most important things for them are not like the classic extrinsic things of like being good at soccer or something like that, or being good at school per se in the traditional conventional sense as well. And uh, connection to our adoption early on, uh, we were sitting with an adoption worker and she was grilling me that night because they do interviews to make sure you're kind of like the, a, a good fit and all this. And it was like a, a pretty lengthy process and this one night of the longest interview they did she kept asking me about like my educational background and my experience and expertise and all these kinds of things and kind of like acting as though I was overqualified for in many areas and then I didn't really understand what she was getting at but what she was getting at was that Chloe was going to be late to walk late to talk may not ever even we don't know what's going to end up happening because of her struggles in utero and the early trauma and things that she was exposed to what if she doesn't do well 
in school and these kinds of things. And I just started laughing once I realized what the question she like was beating around the bush to ask me was, I was like, I don't care at all what she does. Like she could work in any job. She could, you know, like hate math and love language. Like I'm confident that she's going to find whatever her thing is, even if it could be painting, it doesn't matter to me. Like I believe in all of those things. So laterally, um, of course, if you're trying to go to university, uh, at like, you know, a prestigious school, then you're going to need to do a certain thing. You know, you want to be a surgeon, you're going to need to do a certain thing. Uh, but I really, really deeply believe that they're, they will figure out their paths. If again, we model for them and we're kind of supportive along the way, um, specific to goals that I have for both of my kids. But I think again, because of the background and kind of starting from behind, it ties into her a lot is really being able to have kind of self-regulation, emotional control, knowing when to ask for help and when to proceed on your own, those types of things. The Inside Out movie, if anyone listening hasn't watched it yet with their kids, then, uh, you know, at least once they're at that age to kind of like be dealing with their emotions. That's like the Pixar movie, right? The, yeah. With like emotion, the, the people in the emotions. head. And the, okay, yeah, I remember that one. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that it takes blue. place in her brain, basically. But the cartoon characters are the emotions. So Sorry, I, was I don't know to if that, which movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if that answered at all. But like the goals that I have for them is that they're able to figure out their own path intrinsically with support as far as like the idea of school and career goes, not the path that I want to set for them. And along that way that they can figure out how to have values, you know, like kindness and teamwork and generosity and those kind of foundational values and that they can deal with their emotions throughout life. Like those are three massive goals that I have for my kids that I feel like aren't like get really good at soccer or whatever, or be fast. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I was meaning. Cause yeah, nobody wants to dictate what their, you know, their kids lives should be or their path. So I, I love that you just gave the foundation. It's great answers for sure. No son of mine will ever be an artist. You will only go into medicine. <laughs> I mean, I, w I wouldn't be upset if uh, Bennett became the next Aaron judge just or Tiger Woods. I'm, I'm good with either. There you go. Wow, that's two options. That's not bad as far as, you know, different different ways to go. That's it. So, yeah. That's um, so for me, I think, you know, as far as a TV show that really as a kid, Mr. Rogers was the one who taught me about emotions and helped me, you know, what do you do with the mad you feel, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, maybe quick roundtable. What, um, what TV show kind of stuck with you guys as kids where you learned, you know, kind of handle difficult, you know, uh, those big feelings you have when you're young? I'll go last. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> I can go first, but I, I might need a minute. Honestly, I don't. Uh, I think maybe Care Bears. <laughs> yeah, the Care Bears Stanner. That was so good. <laughs> I feel like they were like, you kind of got to see what each emotion did. You're like, I look like that. Then you're like, okay, I don't know about that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't remember as much from my childhood. Um, I don't know, man. That's that's a hard that's a hard question. I've struggled uh, with this one. I can't remember. I feel like all the yeah, stuff my brother and so I watched. So long ago, <laughs> they were like so Transformers old. and stuff. You know, not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get. I guess like Veggie Tales, right? That came out when we were kids, and we we had a you know DVDs were a big thing back then. We had like two DVDs, I think, that were Veggie Tales, and I think some of those had you know they highlighted some of these things that you know probably like Inside Out that you were talking about earlier helped you. 
as a young kid wrap your head around, you know? Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I'm not even going to go the, the show route. I'm going to go the book route. Um, I'm a big fantasy book nerd. Um, I read everything from Tolkien to Salvatore. Um, I'd have to say uh, my favorite was the Driss series. And it, it just talks about like somebody who goes through struggles and, and because of like who he is and what culture he comes from. And uh, he has companions and then he outgrows them in, in age and, you know, they die and he has to deal with that grief. And then he moves on to find new companions. And it's, it's like 33 books, but I, I read this throughout my entire like teenage years from my young years. And so I started them when I was like eight or nine and then moved on from there. And it's, I've, I've finally completed them. And I was just like, you know, I learned so much and grew so much as a human, just reading about like noble people and knights and, you know, and the whole Dungeons and Dragons thing, I guess, kind of was one of the big things as well. So you kind of learned about, you know, creativeness and all that. So it's a fair answer, but it's a cop out, but we're going to let you skate. Brandon, <laughs> what you got? Well, I mean, Mr. Rogers was definitely my one of my my main ones. I mean, you've seen me dress like him on accident. So I guess it's just one of those things. I just, I don't know. Like he, he was always somebody that, that really dug into like the deep rooted things that actually affect us that we don't realize. And so he was one of those first people that kind of turned that light on for me. Um, and like, I just remember watching his show and then like, I would be at laying in my bed and being like, wow, that's, that's so true. And like, you know, I'd always reflect on what he would say. So yeah, I'd have to say Mr. Rogers was definitely my show for sure. I thought you were going to say Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah. I was watching his <laughs> lectures when he was a professor. <laughs> Canadian. It's a missed opportunity. You totally could have, could have got us all. All right, Dustin sees so Mr. Rogers was for you then, Dustin. That's your go-to. That's okay. my guy. Yeah, most definitely. Daniel Tiger, a little disappointing. I don't know. Like, he's been okay. He's kind of right. He's the, the Tiger from the show, but it's not quite the same. And maybe it's just nostalgia, you know, from, but they, and they're trying. It's not bad, but it's not Mr. Rogers. Could have said South Park or Beavis and Butthead. I mean, <laughs> oh, man. Really going on a dog leg there with that one. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. The other Justin. I'm up. You opted to go last. You're up, brother. Yeah, my cop out was going to be sports. Like immediately, I thought like that. I didn't. I always dabbled in like TV shows, but I never went deep into many of them. For me, again, it was often sports, and I feel like the whether it's the stories behind the scenes, like the ESPN sixty, like the E sixty. It didn't. I don't think it was being produced at that point. But that sort of concept, you know, like so and so is making his comeback this week after being off for three months with cancer, or you know, the, uh, Michael Jordan losing his dad, and then like battling through that night to go play and like those kinds of moments for me definitely by far and away if i'm talking about what actually impacted me because i'm not going to cop out and uh mention a book or sports <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. that's actually a really good point and we we've actually spent a lot of time on this show talking about how sports is a great tool for kids to learn difficult concepts that prepare you for the rest of life, right? Like, like losing an adversity and having to put in effort towards a goal and working with teammates. It's interpersonal, it's personal, it's all the different things. Um, so I'll, I'll yeah. piggyback on that too. Like for me, I, like I did Taekwondo like way competitively, like junior Olympics, and all that kind of stuff. But the, the discipline and like the respect for authority and all those kinds of things that it instilled in me. Cause I started when I was seven, um, really shaped a lot of my life and I think helped me respond to a lot of different things throughout my life and be 
you know, perform well at school and, and, and in work and all these other kinds of things that I, pr- I think I would have struggled a lot more if I wouldn't have done it so much like I did. Um, and I learned a lot of really valuable lessons um, through that experience. So way, way more than I learned from any TV show, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm with you on the sports one. It's a, ask better questions, Dustin. That's really the, what we're <laughs> yeah. trying to get at. No, right, okay. <laughs> actually, you I'm know trying. what? It, no, sports actually leads into a great thing. So um, back in, I want to say it was 93 he passed away, but one of my favorite announcers was a, a famous college uh, coach, um, Jimmy V. Everyone knows his story, and you were talking about uh, the zero sixty or whatever they call it. Um, you know, specials mm-hmm. that they do on people like Scott, uh, Stuart Scott. Um, Stuart Scott was such a sad one, but I think that was the first time I ever really saw like death in sports, something that I truly loved. So, like just watching him, you know, get up and speak about the awards that he got right before he passed away from cancer. I think that one kind of hit home for the first time. Like I really kind of realized, you know, we're not all immortal and. And Jimmy B, like, you know, he's this bigger than big guy, you know, in the sports world. And then, boom, something small as cancer just killed him. It mm-hmm. was, you know, th- I think that that's something that kind of took something from me a little bit, honestly, if I'm just being real about sports. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's that's good that you said sports because I think that's people can learn a lot from sports. Yeah, and around here, no kid grows up without them talking about the story of Terry Fox. It com- like comes up every single year in school for every 14 of the years you're in school that uh, and so that's another example similar to growing up in a funeral home where it was way too traumatic for me in like kindergarten to be talking about because I just thought I had cancer every time I got sick for the next four years uh, but became something that again you can look to and like we talked about perspective and gratitude but also goal setting and running across the country when you have cancer like these kinds of things um but in terms of the shows before we move too far on i did want to say that i watched saved by the bell and fresh prince of bel-air that like for me in some formative years were pretty big but honestly it was ninja turtles like the idea of (laughs) mindset came from that (laughs) thundercats man okay then now now we're getting into the most serious of personal (laughs) questions so which which turtle was your favorite then Oh, I like that. Okay, so I'll tell you this. I, I don't know if you and guys And if you know. answer wrong, you're kicked off the show, never to return. Just... <laughs> Immediate block. <laughs> well, here's a more fun game. So when I was uh, – I interviewed Semi Stupid. Uh, he's an, an awesome content creator who uh, does – I don't know if you guys have seen his work, but he splices himself with Hollywood – uh, scenes. So he'll do something with like. I think Brad. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. he's hilarious. Yeah, he's it's like so the funny. most famous of the people that does that. He's he's really good. So he's become a bit of a friend over the years too. But when we were doing the interview, he had so we had this conversation. It came up naturally, and then I said, "Can you guess?" And he guessed it like right away. <laughs> so. And then he had a really deep answer to it too afterwards, which was kind of interesting. Can you guess? Donatello. Donatello. Because the hockey stick, because he's Canadian. I can see that. Yeah. That's, that's potential. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, and I'm saying Michelangelo because you're a party I'm a Raphael dude. guy. So I'm going to say Raphael because he's the leader. Okay, he was the leader, man. He was the one that shouldered everything. I thought it was Leonardo was the leader. That's Leonardo. Raphael yeah. used the sigh. He had the red. Yeah, yeah red I know who he was. I'm saying, but he was the real leader of the group. Come on. You think? No, he's he the hothead. Go back and watch. Hothead. Yeah, he may have been the hothead, but he was the one that had kept him in group. All right, we got Raphael, we got Michelangelo, we got. I, I'm 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 going to say Michelangelo was was probably your favorite. Okay, yeah. 
No, definitely. Definitely. Oh, well. <laughs> no, no guess, Brandon. Did, okay, just hit no, us I with said it. Donatello. He did guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, I, yeah, I missed yeah. it. My bad. Almost revealed too early. No, like not even close. Like not even like first, second, third, fourth. Like just only Raph for sure. Oh, uh, <laughs> Justin knows Justin. Yes, I'm telling you, he was the man. He was my favorite. Um, and the funny thing is where that conversation took a bit of a deep turn that I couldn't have expected. Like it was so funny and I love doing podcasts like this. Anyone listening to who's thinking about it, I can't suggest it enough. Like I, I love helping people start shows and stuff like that because like, again, I'm interviewing this dude about content creation. We never once talked about a camera or like how he creates or too much of the things that you, I think typically you'd get questions about, you know, we're talking about stuff like this. And then I said, you know, the thing is that a lot of people are surprised because they see me as a, a leader or kind of like calm, cool collective. And he goes, yeah, but what were you like when you were a teenager, dude? And I was like, touche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, the biggest thing is that Raph figured it out along the way to become the best leader because he's seen all sides of it. And I was like, yeah. Like, that's, that's a crazy point that I hadn't even thought of. It just was my favorite. Like that was just the answer that I, I was giving, you know? So who needs Mind therapy <laughs> and lots of degrees? Just watch Ninja Turtles and, you know, you you will find thyself. Good to go. Yeah, 100% <laughs> though, Rafi went through everything. I mean, he he thought he lost his brothers. He, like, he lost, you know, Master Splinter, everything that went on. He was the one that went through everything. Everyone else kind of had their own little arc. He's the one who thought he lost everybody. So he went through the most. I'm telling you. Rafi was the man. That's why I love him. <laughs> and he was hardcore, and I was kind of that way when I was younger. I was rough around the edges, so, yeah. This conversation is making me sad, though, because our kids don't have shows like this. Uh, they don't have yeah. shows nearly to the level that, like... No, my, ki- my kid watches tra- Transformers, G.I. Joe's, Thundercats. Well, yeah, but all the, I'm talking all the new stuff that comes out with, it's so bad compared oh, yeah, to, like, what we terrible. had. Man, we lived in, like, the golden age of, like, TV shows for kids. I think The Octonaut 90s was a wild awesome. time. Yeah, Octonaut. <laughs> Big Octonauts uh, fan. I would watch that without my kid. Like I'm just like, Octonauts is good. I, I will. Mm-hmm. I will concede Bluey, that. But it's no teenage uh, mutant ninja. I'm addicted to Bluey. I'll, I'll, I'm a grown man and I'm addicted to Bluey. I'm just gonna put it out there. <laughs> Storybots it, was all right too. Storybots is good. Yeah. Are you addicted, Justin, or is it Stockholm syndrome? That's that's the rule. When you've seen it seven thousand times, you know it's. <laughs> Might be. I don't know. We got just, way I, off. I don't know. Like, like, like I said, the message is good. The story's good. Like Joe Brum's just a genius, man. The guy, the guy produces some of the best stuff I've seen for like just in general. And then like it's a kids show, so I don't know, man. Yeah, no, that's good. All right, let, let's bring it back, Justin. Do you have questions for us? That any burning questions or something you want our perspective on? Well, one thing that I'll share, and then I think it ties into a question too, is that I love the idea of sharing resources because when I think of a show like this, I feel like something that can be extremely helpful in a quick way is like, you know, links to this or that. So, you know, we've shared a lot in this episode, um, whether it's books or movies or resources that parents can use to parent kind of like quote unquote better or whatever, improve their parenting. Uh, and that just as, or more importantly as resources for their kids too. So I don't know, I didn't do a deep enough dive into, uh, your website or like how you guys go about that. But I think in whatever way curating that would be like a huge part of your guys' brand that would be super successful. I think I see a 
a book, a coffee table book that has resources or something, a digital one though, cause it's going to yeah. change. But anyways, I just think that it's like That's important huge. to point out that the ability for people to find more and more resources uh, is huge because we're all struggling as parents with kind of different things. You know, um, I, I mentioned kind of earlier, some ideas of like kids going through milestones a little bit later or slower while because of one of the main things that our daughter struggled with coming out of birth was um, like gastro, uh, like underdevelopment and stomach issues. She's basically been toileting all the way up until like, she's still like, it's kind of like being a lifelong problem for her so far. And we've worked with so many different doctors and things like that. And then finally, you get that one book where you read it and you're like, oh, okay, this is like written by a true expert. This is going to help. And then it worked wonders, but it was like a grind for eight years. Doctors didn't know what the hell they were talking about and a big mess. And you find that one resource. So anyways, that's a long way to say, I think I, uh, it would be amazing for you guys to be sharing those resources as one of the main parts of your brand. That is uh highly noted. And we actually have talked about that. We want to be like a one-stop shop, you know, for all things dad so um yeah we'll we will get hot on uh putting that together that's that's a a collective effort that we're all going to commit to now so we got to get on that yeah george we talked about um sorry justin um homework last year that was a big thing that we're like okay we're gonna we're gonna get homework on each other we've done a decent job of that but um i'll take that on i'll look through our old um episodes and find maybe 30 second clips of where we're sharing a really good resource and then use that as a boom, 30 seconds resource, boom, 30 seconds resource, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're kind of doing similar things. Um, like I've tried to do dad advice today. George has been picking up it as well. Um, and just kind of give anybody out there like a child or a dad or anybody who could use the advice, just, you know, what kind of advice would you want to hear from your dad or from, from a fatherly figure or somebody, or even a brotherly figure. So um, that's kind of something that, I've picked up as a passion project and George has as well. So um, I think any more feedback like that from our, our viewers or anybody is definitely appreciated because we like to hear from the outside in. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And just to uh, clarify, like I didn't necessarily mean from a content creation standpoint, I think that's amazing of course, and do as much of that as you can. I think it'd be incredible, but it's a little slower than like from your episodes beyond the show notes. Is there somewhere that someone can go to be like good movies for your kid to watch about emotional health or whatever, and then inside outs in there or good books that were, you know, talked about on the show. And then like, you know, um, hold on to your kids or brainstorm or how to (laughs) adults guide to raising a teenage human. That's a good book. (laughs) Um, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so I didn't know that's a question. Like, does that exist? We need to make a little bit of a library. Yeah. Like that kind of kind of have it like readily available for people to, to go self-help, you know? Yeah. That'd be cool. Great advice. It Thank was really you. a question. I didn't know if there was a library. Yeah. No, was, we have, I was we have check not it gotten that to that point yet. So that's uh, that's uh, definitely a, a must do very quickly type of thing. Because I I agree that that's a huge resource that we're we're missing out on providing. So we'll yeah, and that. I think you know a lot of dads. I think all five of us are readers. I think we all enjoy reading books. I can think of ten books that I've read in the last year. Not all dads are like that though. You know, they're just not big. So I, I think we're often sharing these book recommendations. Read this book. Read that book. And it's, it's aspirational. It's a good idea, but I think that's missing some people who maybe would be reached better with, yeah, you know, some shorts or some audio visual, you know, kind of stuff to, um, to give them that, that feedback without that intimidating. I don't want to read a 200 page book. They're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Giving out audible, uh, 
giveaways. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Like, yeah, if if Amazon wants to sponsor us, we're happy to. You know, Audible. The the <laughs> you know you could hear us now. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people don't like Audible books either. I get it. I think that's the interesting thing when it comes to teaching anything is just trying to hit on all those different types of learners, which would be, uh, you know, really cool. Um, the other thing too. Uh, and then I'm, I could probably think of a million questions if you guys want is, uh, I'd like to point out that with all this stuff, and I think this is the number one thing that people hear from this episode is that all of these things are infinite games. And the fun thing about infinite games that we're trying to like solve or master in life is that they're mo the most valuable ones and parenting is an infinite game. And when we don't feel like we won or lost because of one little issue today, you know, uh, we realize that it's just as long as we're living and as long as we have kids that we can continue to improve, take a step back, take a step forward, that it's really important to have like perspective around parenting as a true infinite game, because otherwise we get too hard on ourselves. I like that. I really like that way of looking at it because you can, you know, you can keep leveling up too. you know, it's, it's a, it's a constant yeah. progression. You know, it's not fit, a one and done. For sure. Yeah. Fitness, nutrition, like those types of things are the most valuable games we can play. Yet we're so hard on ourselves if we do plow into that cake and ice cream that, you know, a uh, few nights in a row. And it's like, whatever. The next day, you have another opportunity. It's not, you know, the opportunity is still there. So uh, parenting's definitely, definitely like that. Um, yeah. In terms of questions, I mean... Do I it. get it. it <laughs> Shoot. The, the tricky thing is like who gets to answer what questions, but um, I guess I can say to Brandon, if you had learned something from doing the show that you maybe didn't expect that was a difficult thing and a positive thing, what would be those two things for you? Positive thing. Uh, definitely solidifying what we are already had, which was us four were just holding each other accountable. But with the podcast, I think one of the biggest things that taught me was that I needed to enjoy the journey and not the end. So like, I'm the kind of person, like I'll look at something, I'll master it. I'll go to the next thing, I'll master it. And then I get bored of it and I shoot to the next thing. And, and I'm also the kind of person I'll have really great ideas and they can really change people's lives, but I never pursue them because I have so much going on. And this podcast has made me stick to something. And so for me, that's a huge thing. And then um, as far as difficult, um, I would say my most difficult thing was trying to make sure that I balance things properly. Um, you know, when you have a podcast, you're writing a book, you're dealing with a new job um, that's in a completely different field than what you're used to. And then you're trying to keep yourself accountable as a parent, but also as a husband. Um, you know, it's there's a lot of uh, irons in the fire. And so learning to keep the balance of those things was kind of one of the things that I really had to press in on. So that's great. And it's still like relatively early in the evening for you guys when you start the show too like are your kids kind of in bed by that time or is it just that you're ducking out to go get to work with because this is your block of time to be dad who's working yeah so in most cases at least for me personally uh, i have two kids and i think I'm, yeah, I'm the only one here that has has multiple children so for me um 
my my wife has created this thing where they get to hang out with her and watch a movie or do something that that creates like the feeling of we get to have mom time and and then dad's going to go do some some work if they're still awake but sometimes they might be passed out so it's it's definitely situation but we've definitely tried to foster that it's a it's a healthy thing and when they say are you going to be on the podcast tonight i'll say yes and i'll explain about what we're doing and you know let them try to get excited and involved. But um, one of the things I've learned too uh, was to fill their cup before I get on the cast. So anytime mm-hmm. you're about to do something heavy uh, with your children, they have two cups, power cup and a love cup. They got to feel powerful because we all want to, it's nature. And then we also have to feel loved. And so I will spend individualized time with both of them. I love on both of them heavily, give them, you know, like genuine time, not like on my phone sitting next to them like an actual genuine intentional time. And uh, yeah, that works out fantastic. Cause then they're just like, Oh, dad's going to do his thing and we're good to go. So. I love it. Um, I'll uh, you know, before we kind of sign off for the night, I'll share one other thing that uh, we did for our daughter on her birthday today. Cause I think it could be a resource that people could steal no matter what age they are. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll share that before we kind of log off. Um, so I know I was speaking with George through text and kind of getting ready for this show. And, you know, you shared the links and things like that. Um, I don't, I, I don't know how it all kind of came together and was formed from the get in terms of like whose idea it was, or was it everybody's idea at the same time? I mean, that'd be, kind of crazy. Um, but I would like to kind of ask someone that I haven't talked to yet. So maybe I'll ask, uh, Dustin, you know, what your vision for this podcast is, at least as you see it in terms of like kind of future goals and what it could become for you guys. That is such a great question. Yeah. Thanks for that, Justin. Uh, we actually were talking about a mission statement and putting together that exact you know question because we've been playing around, having fun. We're just dads talking. And then we realized this is something that's going to continue on. This is something we're very passionate about. We're going to continue doing. We've got a pretty good audience now, so that'll continue to grow. So we need to have that that focused mission. Um, so uh, I, I believe we're still iterating on it. Um, but what I wanted to start with was, one, we have to make ourselves better fathers, right? It has to start with us staying true to ourselves, right? It never becomes about the audience, about, you know, the fame or any of that kind of stuff. It stays about us being great present fathers. Um, and uh, yeah, George, if you want to unveil the uh, um, the mission statement, yeah, drop it on us because you've got it. Uh, you got it saved. Is this it or is it an iteration? Yeah, this I'll, is the I'll, first I'll iteration. So yeah. Banner. yeah, keep, absolutely. keep talking, Dustin. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, be, be great fathers, be present. Um, I think I consistently get back to that as my biggest struggle as a father with a, a small, you know, three-year-old child is it's so tempting to multitask and quickly get back to my friend about that text, or I just had a good idea cause I was with him and I need to write that down and take notes. And then that turns into, well, then I need to respond to something else. And it's so easy to allow my attention to be taken away from my son. And the whole point of this is to be present, you know, with our children. Right. So that's, um, that's the big one, you know, for me. Um, yeah, George, if you want to go ahead and read it. All righty. I was trying to get off mute and put it in front of my screen. Okay. Uh, so here's what we've got right now. And then I guess Justin, you can give the honest feedback. So at the present father's podcast, our mission statement is to empower fathers to be better husbands and parents. We will accomplish this by focusing on being present with our children, interviewing incredible fathers with compelling stories 
and disrupting negative cultural influences that harm fathers in order to make a positive and lasting impact in our society. And that's what we got. I think it's perfect in terms of something. The funny thing is when it comes to vision statements, mission statements, like values, core value, like all these blah, 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 th things that come up in companies that I have always found interesting uh, is that they're kind of like you're getting into like semantics of like what is what they kind of all are important, you know, a philosophy of the workplace or philosophy of the business or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's perfect. I don't know what you would change. Uh, I do feel like one of the things that's really helpful is to have something else. So maybe it becomes like your vision statement and that could even just be internal amongst you guys. But like the idea of like, what do we want to have be the sort of measurable goals of it, you know, in terms of things that may or may not be achieved, <laughs> right? Like who knows, we all can't plan any farther than this given moment. Um, but, you know, kind of like the things that really excite you of what it could become um, obviously isn't in there, right? Which is fine because that's serving a purpose for the audience, for the community, for the brand. And I feel like, you know, I would love to know what your own goals for it are. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, We've had some conversations about that. I'm consistently yeah. undershooting. I made a, a bet with Brandon um, that uh, we wouldn't hit a thousand subscribers until, I don't know, like August or something. And we just hit it. So like, I was, I was way off. Like it wasn't even close. Like I should never gamble because I just <laughs> get like, it wasn't like I ever had a chance. It's like, you know, the bottom of the first inning and we've, I've already lost, <laughs> you know, like it was, it was terrible. It's the, the 10 run rule. The 10 run <laughs> right. Rule yeah. I got mercy ruled. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing though. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, like that's those are the things I think uh I think the hardest thing that happens is that people feel like they can't live in the moment if they set like a specific goal. I feel like you can have your cake and eat it too when it comes to that topic for sure. Set the goal, make it as big as possible. A lot of times when people struggle with goal setting, I find like helping them to dream in levels. So set the one that you think is insane, like the Elon Musk is going to build a colony on Mars. So set that one and then set the one that I'm going to put out at least an episode once a month this year. Um, and then what are those kind of middle level goals, right? The second and third levels, that's where things get kind of tricky and really interesting because that's where, um, you know, it might be something more tied to audience growth or whatever it is. Um, but it's just interesting to talk about. I think it's healthy because it helps keep us motivated, except for it's only healthy if we don't succeed and we're not uh, again we're realizing that it's an infinite game i guess can you share with us what some of your uh what what your mission statement would be do you have one um so on my website i have like simon Sinek's kind of start with why framework i love simon man so i have my yeah he's he's solid for sure here i'll, um, I'll bring it up in in the room so you can talk to it like, so, sorry to interrupt, but I'll bring it up for you. No worries. Um, like I, so I have my kind of like why and what and how, at least as it existed when I kind of started working on this brand and concept. But this this whole idea has you talk about iterations. I mean, it's changed so much over the over the years. Um, but the most important thing for me is just really helping people. Um, appreciate that if we figure out what Eve Rodsky calls your unicorn space, your ability to be a creative and have that time to pursue your goals, like this podcast, 
you know, in your guys' case, then it can really tie into our mental health. You know, I feel like even 10, 15, 20 minutes a day working on something. So when it comes to um, the podcast, for example, like my simple big goal is that that can be monetized enough by my birthday in 2024 that I'm able to do it full time. Um, what that looks like, if we start, like if you guys are business coaching me, <laughs> is probably, uh, again, it's Canadian, so it's like not the same conversions. Um, but, you know, I know what it costs for me. And I appreciate that I come from a, a fairly privileged place and a lot of people listening, you know, it'd be nowhere near this. And it's it's certainly all relative. However, like I know what I make in a year, which is, you know, that 100K Canadian. Uh, and then in terms of that being able to map towards being full time and still not having to tell my kids, hey, you can't do rock climbing this week because dad's pursuing his dreams. Um, I feel like a lot of people lose sight of their own dreams when they become parents. It's such a natural thing, right? We stop doing the things that we were pursuing because all of a sudden we have a different priority. And I did that. I did that big time with so many things. And I, I bought into it. Like people that I saw as mentors at the time, I remember them laughing and saying like, well, yeah, but now is your kid's time. You know, it's your kid's time to play hockey. It's your kid's time to be put in activities. It's your kid's time to have goals and you're supposed to support them. And I feel like that's such an important thing to point out is that, of course, we're going to sacrifice. We have to like, you know, you go to the hospital that night, they're born and you're up for two days and all of that or whatever else. They're sick and you have to stay home, different things. However, what I realized was I have to also model for them how to achieve goals. And unless I'm actually truthfully setting mine, then I can't actually model it. And just back to the kind of brand and the overarching thing of what this whole idea that I'm working on came to be was that every you know student would come along and want to build a blog, want to build uh, a YouTube channel, want to start a podcast, want to sell hoodies online, want to create artwork and monetize it. And all these modern creative business models and most teachers and guidance counselors maybe parents too are like, nah, I, I think you should go down here and be like a veterinarian assistant. It's like this safe, good job, or I think you should go down here, but it's just cause that's what they know. And at the time, call it seven years ago, that's all I knew either. Right. I realized I was like, if I'm being real, I can't go tell this kid how to start a YouTube channel or how to build a podcast or how to run SEO on a blog. Cause I don't friggin' know. So that was the main part for me was realizing that I need to go learn these things to be able to actually, you know, kind of support people through them, whether it's my own kids or students, or really, I don't care anyone that wants some support with it. That's awesome, man. I, uh, well, earlier you just talking about helping your daughter set up like her vlogs and stuff. I was like, cause my, my daughter's like, you're on YouTube. That's so cool. You know, like she thinks it's like, the, she thinks I'm like super famous. I'm like, honey, there's like, you know, a thousand people. It's that let, let's take a time out. Daddy's not famous, you know, but she wants to do it too. She's like, can we do videos together and stuff? And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'll definitely be coming to you for coaching on how to like set that all up with her in a way that's like productive. And, um, yeah, you gave some good ideas earlier, but that, that, that gets me excited because I'm like almost at that point. I don't want her doing it yet. She's a little young, you know, seven years old. I think is a little too young for that. But anyway, that's on the horizon for sure. But I had a thought for uh, something we could do maybe here to, to wrap up. Uh, and that's from your perspective, what is what is crazy about Americans? 
uh, as a well, Canadian. Okay, wait, right? I didn't I didn't ask the other two questions quickly. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so I did Brandon's and Dustin's, and then we went on a tangent. So I don't mean to cut you off, but I don't want to also leave people out. So we can kind of do them quickly, maybe, and then I won't forget that one because there's lots. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm just, oh. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot. He's not kidding. No, there's not going to be because, like I said, I'm half American, so I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I haven't even thought about it yet. Um, but I wanted to ask, uh, like I, I had the other questions, so I went one by one. So, um, Justin, what is something that you are currently learning right now that might surprise everybody on this call? Who knows? But like maybe it's kind of off topic from here, not necessarily like how to podcast, but what is something that you are currently actively learning right now? Ooh. Ooh. Um, so there's a few things and one of them is something that I just kind of kept close to the chest because I, I do it on my own time when I'm done with work in a 15 minute break or an hour and 15 minute cycle. Um, I've got back into competitive gaming. Um, and recently, um, I, it's where I met George was World of Warcraft. I picked World of Warcraft back up, uh, just the PVP where you play other players. And, uh, I actually went through coaching and, uh, I just hit gladiator for the first time, which is a pretty big achievement. Um, it's, it's a rating of 2,400 plus and you have to win 50 games afterwards and you get like special amount, mm-hmm. all this other stuff. But it's, you're like top a uh, less than 1% of I think it's right now 10.5 million subscribers. So um, it was fun. It, it was it was something competitive. It let me kind of relax a little bit. Um, and then I've actually been throwing around the idea and talking to a buddy of mine who was in my car group uh, that I started on Facebook. We've got 4,000 members, but he was the one that I just really like stuck to. Um, he is a motivational speaker and a competition like bodybuilder. And he's been pushing me and he's like, come on, man, I got to get you in a comp. He's like, you're tall enough. He's like, you got good genes for it. He's like, come on. So he's actually talking about training me and I'm, I'm, I'm highly considering doing a competition before the end of the year, or maybe next year. Just, yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to do it because I really need to lose the dad bod. My wife's giving me crap about it. Uh, <laughs> so I think those are the only two things really exciting. Other than that, it's just my work and concentrating on, you know, building my, my territory and I do what I love. So I've really been focused on that. So I'd say, 20 hours a day. That's what I'm focused on. But yeah. Really cool. Thank you for sharing. I think it's always nice to share those kind of like things that might surprise people never hurts. And, uh, all right. So George, you're the last one. Um, like I said, I do know some things about you. We've been in contact for a little while, but I'll ask one of the ones that I ask most guests that I interview as well. And I think, uh, it certainly ties into all the things we've been talking about today. But if you were to, of all the things, there's so many resources out there and so many life experiences that you've already had. If you were to pick one piece of life advice, though, if you were only allowed to leave that one piece of life advice for your, your family, what would that be? Oof, that is a good question. Oof. We're going to steal that one. <laughs> one piece, if I could only give one piece. Um It's, it, this is something that took me way too long to figure out, but failure isn't fatal. Um, so, you know, every, you know, we always talk about like strive hard, you know, try and exceed the standard, you know, give your best effort. But what I failed to learn until I was <laughs> almost 30 was it's also okay to mess up, right? And, um, and a lot of times, unless you do fail, you're not going to really learn. Um, 
on the on the real life issues, right? Like a game or a sport, sure. No, I mean if you lose the game, you lose the game, right? But in real life, in the real world, um, you're gonna make mistakes in a marriage, uh, raising your kids, in your job, whatever, right? And uh, you know, unless it's some massive, huge thing, um, you can recover from it. And uh, yeah, so that that's probably what it'd be. Failure isn't fatal. And I stole that too. It's not George's wisdom. I stole that from Mighty Oaks. I've referenced that organization before. They're the ones who taught me that uh, when I was 28, I think. So would have loved to have known that at about eight. Maybe someone tried to tell me, but I wasn't ready for it, I guess, until I was 28. So there you go. Yeah, I was going to say knowing it and knowing it like you know it, it two very different things i can yeah knowing it and being that. able to apply it yeah so yeah for sure that's definitely the case with a lot of stuff cool thank you all of you for sharing that's that's awesome thanks for the questions man they were uh really thoughtful and really good that was fun normally we're the ones grilling right so it's, it's, it's cool to see <laughs> the yeah, um i've actually got a fun question and this is one I've been curious to get y'all's answer on. And I'd actually like to hear Justin's answer if, if he could have anyone brought on this show. If if y'all could have anyone specifically, who would it be that you would want to come on this show? And just real quick, why? Uh, I'll go to you, George, first. David Goggins. Uh, I mean, uh... <laughs> don't you dare take my answer. No, do they have to be like alive or could it, like if you could like bend time and space alive, yeah. like oh, okay. realistic. Yeah. if i could like twist no i don't want to talk to teddy roosevelt that guy was a freaking man's man well, yeah but uh alive i don't know um joe rogan man dude just like talks about whatever anything and he's like way smarter than people give him credit for i think he'd be a really pr- not on camera i'd like to actually just talk to him like one-on-one to just He's talked to so many people. He's got all these different ideas floating around. I think that'd be a pretty fun day, way to spend. Maybe film two hours of it or three hours of it. But nice. Yeah. B, what about you? Y'all already know Jordan Peterson. Um, I knew it. I knew that was. Gonna and be I, you know, one of the things that I would love to do is have his daughter on, so that we could talk okay. to them about their relationship, uh, and like she could kind of give some contrast on how he was as a father. Uh, and so I think that would be really interesting because they're both very brilliant people and, uh, they're very, uh, very specific in how they express themselves. And so when you see them together, there's very healthy conversation and relationship there. And I I'd just love to see both of them on. Nice. Uh, do you want to go Justin or, uh, or me? Dustin, you go first and then we'll go to Justin. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, I want to talk to Alexis Ohanian. Um, he's the founder of Reddit. Uh, he's married to Serena Williams, who is my personal favorite female athlete. I think she's incredible. Um, their daughter, Olympia, is this incredibly talented, just really cool. And he talks about her a lot and does a lot of, um, you know, so he's a very active dad. Um, and obviously, just like you, um, Justin, he's a big entrepreneur. You know, he's founded multiple companies. Um, I think he would be an incredible person to chat with. All right, Justin, it's on you, man. Did you go already as well? Are you going I'm going to go after you. I go after you. He's going to say David Goggins. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously we have slightly different shows with a lot of the same underlying values. Uh, but 
it's that's such an interesting topic not to make this too long-winded but i don't really like answering this question and it's hilarious because i asked george a really tough question name one piece of advice and it's like well, okay how do i do that right and people struggle through that like oh my god when it's almost like instead of writing a book can you write a tweet like that's a skill in and of itself right um but for this it's just because like i i genuinely try to as much as i can but there's like a waiting list so that made things harder I love talking to anybody. I'm kind of like Joe Rogan in that way where like I would love to have anyone on the show. And I, I think that th- through the art form of podcasting, the awesomeness comes afterwards. Um, so I know a lot of people who get into podcasting and they really, really worry about dream guests and those kinds of things. And like they really, really are like, you know, stressing about that almost to the point where they're losing sight of like what they're trying to create currently with people. Um, and they're trying to like, um, I interviewed a uh, Gabor Mate's son, Daniel Mate, and we talked about the idea of a good get and like how kind of ridiculous that is because we're just all humans. And like, you don't know that someone who has zero followers or zero, anything could create the best episode that you ever make as like a piece of art, you know, in terms of like getting celebrities and blah, blah, blah. Of course there's naturally that too. And when I, I can answer the, the question, <laughs> uh, and that would probably be pink like someone who has an incredibly growth mindset, like the things that she's done in the world of music, but also branched out into so many other industries. One of the sleep stories that my kids listen to, here's a resource for your library, the Calm app. Um, You know, like that's worked wonders for my kids. Um, But Pink has sleep stories on there. Like I feel like there's so much that's tied to growth mindset, vulnerability and learning. But again, most importantly, from what I can tell anyways, being a good person and being a great parent en route to doing that too. So nice. And this is actually going to shock the guys. It's not David Goggins. (laughs) Oprah. No, it's actually, um, you get a guess. You get a guess. It's, It's actually, it would actually be Tyson Fury. Uh, he's a world heavyweight champion of the world. Um, he recently in the last few years struggled with mental health in a way that uh, almost made him in his own life. And he's very open about it. And I think more men need to be open about that. And I think that's something that fathers need to hear is because a lot of fathers, everyone's guilty of this as a father, you feel empty or you feel a void or you'll feel something in your life that just doesn't feel right. Or it makes you feel uh, sad or upset and we just bury it. And that's the problem. We need to bring this to light. And that's something that he's very passionate about. And if you've read his his books, um, which I've read both of them, they're very, very, very good. And I just love to to hear him come on. He's a man of God. He he always thanks God first. And I think it's just he's very strong in his beliefs and he's very strong in his passions. And I think that's something that the show could use. So that's that's why I like him. All right, final question for you, Justin. What are the crazy things about Americans from a Canadian's point of view? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Frig, that could go deep too, you know. Um <laughs> funny ones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like what are what are weird things that only The sad do? thing is though, like it's only serious ones that I can kind of think of right now. Um I guess we can be serious too, it's no problem. Yeah. Go for um it. It's a very uh acutely tough time, you know. Like this is a live stream obviously, so um it's not like it's edited for the next few weeks, but you know, another pretty big shooting that occurred and certainly this side of the border, the, and it's come up, I don't know, like 
maybe five or six times today here amongst whether it's colleagues or friends or family about like, why the hell do they not just finally deal with gun control? So there's another uh, 24 hour episode we could go into. Yeah. Um, and that was in George's backyard too. The one that just happened. Yeah. So I actually, I was like late getting into our room because my daughter was asking about it uh, today because kids mm-hmm. in school were talking about it. So yeah, it's like 40 minutes from, from where we are. So that one hit pretty close to home. Um, yeah, I'm but, sure. Yeah, that, that's and, a that's a 24 hour conversation right there for sure. Yeah, and it's like it's you know I didn't want to open up this big tangent when we're trying to wrap a, a simple podcast here, but at the same time it'd be hard to in good faith like answer the question without just being real a bit because it's like I think that's just the the one that jumps off the page of people here, and it's like more of a serious one, you know. Um, but it's that's complex because what goes into that too is like what often doesn't hit headlines is like why does a you know kid want to do that um a lot, a lot of times the sensational things around gun control or things that are going to sell newspapers and magazines are the things that do hit the headlines you know how many victims and you know like whatever what car did they drive like stupid stuff like that um but anyways um just thinking of everybody involved in this moment so um, in terms of a lighter note and kind of silly ones, like, yeah, it's so funny. You might expect a Canadian to come on here. Uh, I hope you didn't cue that up expecting like an awesome soundbite because again, I'm like, and then maybe again, the part you didn't know is that I'm 50% American and spend so much of my time in Michigan that I don't really think, uh, especially from like Ontario to Michigan, like there's a lot of differences. Well, they got the whole Uber accent, you know. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some. <laughs> Don't you know? Yeah. Yeah. Some. Is Texas just um, like this weird place to you, though? <laughs> like my um, wife and I were watching the Formula no, One No, like I have so many friends here from that live in Texas that are from oh, okay. here. Okay, well, then, you yeah. know what? Um, I, was, I was hoping to get some funny things like, yeah, you guys I know, eat like, but this let me food think. all the time or something. But I'm going to think. I'd say the craziest uh, place we have in this country is Cali, but that's just me. <laughs> I mean, I can more tell stories of like family interacting with here. And like one time, um, <laughs> did you take him to my, well, my grandmother was here trying to shop for socks for like us. And she took us to the local store here when we were children. And there was like a language barrier, even though it's just from, America and Canada, you know, like I went to University of Windsor too. And so that's like a two minute, it's literally a two minute drive to the border. So there's like no difference there. Um, but uh, yeah, she was saying sacks, like I just want to buy some sacks. And so the person like was thinking S-A-X or, you know, S-A-C-K-S. So they spent a good 10 minutes trying to figure out what the hell she was talking about. She's like, I'm just trying to buy some damn sacks. And <laughs> he thought like he's giving her backpacks and things like that. Um, so like Kenny G yeah. with the sax, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it was such a language barrier thing. I mean, that's definitely a, a funny thing. Um, hmm, I don't have much. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, that's all good. <laughs> I, 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 was gonna, I, I was gonna ask you to say a couple words like about and sorry, but you've, you've been saying them a bunch anyway, so we, yeah, we that up a lot. I do, I do think it's funny. And my accent's the, uh... a mess too, because it just feels like it comes from so many different things, yeah, right. Well, and then the more you talk <laughs> to people like this too, you know, you they, yeah. they rub off on you and you pick up little phrases. But all right, well, uh, sure. we'll, we'll wrap this up for real. So, where can people go other than your website to uh, to hear? your podcast, get involved, all that kind of stuff. How can we, how can they find out more about you? Is the well, website just the best place to go? 
Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is I've worked hard and continue to work hard, uh, as I'm sure you guys do to have the brand kind of rise to the top. So being able to search, just keep learning anywhere mm -hmm. seems to be at that point now where that just leads people to the content, which really the only true media pillar right now is the only media property is the podcast. Um, that's the, the big thing. Um, I create interview shows. That's where it started. A great mentor of mine talked <laughs> me into doing uh, solo episodes. Took two years for a couple mentors of mine to talk me into doing it. And I finally took the leap earlier this year and uh, in the fall. And it's been great. I honestly had to get over my own vulnerability to start doing those. Um, and just thinking like, why would anyone want to just hear from me on an episode, you know? Um, but they were right. It's, it's, it's helped some people from what I've learned. And so, um, yeah, just searching JKL, just keep learning anywhere should lead you to the podcast. Awesome. All right. Well, I've got it taken on the bottom. Just keep learning.ca. You can find that on the web. Um, and for those of you listening, uh, I've listened to several of Justin's episodes now in preparation for this one that we're doing right now. And uh, just left me feeling with like fire in the belly, ready to go conquer the world. Just talking to all the different people you bring on. And, um, you know, they all have all these different expect or different perspectives and just attacking their goal and, and making things happen. I just love it. it and it's, you know, it's kind of what you fill your mind with is going to pour out into your own life too. So like just, just listening to it on the go while I'm doing things, you know, I, I just like felt more ready to tackle my, my day. So, um, just leaving that with you, you know, you've already inspired me with the work you're doing. So, uh, I hope our viewers will also go check you out and, uh, in turn be inspired because it's a very different topic than what we accomplish on this episode. And I think they can learn from both. And, um, I think I speak for everyone here when I say thank you so much for your time and uh, also just being very transparent and real with us tonight. Uh, that's that's what we try to do. And uh, I think people are going to say this is probably one of our better episodes. Just, uh, you know, you just have this great presence about you, Justin, and, um, you know, a very impressive guy. And your, your just willingness to share is a, is a rare thing these days, unfortunately. And I think that it's a great thing to model for us as other men and then also for kids. So, uh, guys, any last closing thoughts? And if not, we'll call it an episode. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you more. I've got a bunch more questions I want to ask. So I'll definitely be uh, reaching out to you. Yeah, man. I echo that. All right, Justin. Uh, appreciate you so much. If you're listening in still, uh, you can find us on Spotify if you're not just watching on YouTube. If you're listening to this later, uh, thanks for checking us out, and um, we'll be back in, uh, I think, just about a week and a half for our next episode. So stay tuned, everyone. Also, go check out Justin. Just keep learning, and uh, that's it. Take care, everyone. Have a great night. And if I can get to the outro, there we go. Thanks for watching this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.